Chapters 31 and 32 of The Barnabys in America by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 31 A consultation between a Quaker gentleman and his wife Rachel. They do not quite agree in opinion, but Rachel does as wives promise to do. Another consultation takes place about the same time between the Don and his lady, and another still between the Major and his lady. Mrs. Allen Barnaby pays a visit to her new friends, John and Rachel Williams. No sooner were John Williams and his loving wife left to themselves by the departure of Mrs. Allen Barnaby, after one of the longest and most confidential tea-drinkings ever indulged in, than they exchanged looks full of pleasant meaning, and while the gentlewoman sat silent from habitual reverence to her husband, the thoughtful man sat silent too for some short space, feeling half afraid of committing a folly by expressing how very greatly he was pleased by the adventure which had befallen them. At length, however, the smiling silence was broken by his saying, "'Tell me, Rachel, without fear or favour, what dost thee think of our new acquaintance?' Thus encouraged, Rachel Williams meekly replied, "'I rejoice because I see thee rejoice, John Williams, at finding that one has come amongst us who takes to heart the cause of the oppressed Negro. But the joy of my own heart would be more full, and my confidence in the promised good more firm, if this help and aid came not in so gaudy a clothing.' Besides, I think not that it is quite seemly, John Williams, to see a woman of such ripened age with ringlets and love-locks fluttering with every breeze that blows. But if thee dost tell me that this is prejudice, John Williams, it shall go hard with me, but I will amend it, and for the future see only the woman's purpose, and not the woman. No, Rachel, no, replied the worthy Quaker. I should be loath that thy dutiful submission to thy husband's word should be put to so hard a trial, or that thy faithful love should cause thee thy honest judgment. I like not the aged Englishwoman's love-locks better than thee dost, my good Rachel. But shall we quarrel with the help that the Lord has sent us, because it comes in a shape that is not comely to our eyes? What need is there that this foreign woman-writer should be as goodly and as gracious in my sight as thee art, Rachel? With her looks we have little to do, but trust me, if she knows how to write, she comes amongst us armed with a power which we who have a battle to fight would do wrong to treat lightly. This power she frankly offers to range on our side, and in my judgment it would be folly to reject it. How it comes to pass I know not, Rachel, continued John Williams, after pausing a minute or two in meditation. But certain it is, that notwithstanding all the abuse and belittling which the union from Georgia to Maine pours forth without ceasing against the old country, notwithstanding all this, there is not an English goose-quill that can be wagged about us, right or wrong, witty or dull, powerful in wisdom or mawkish in folly, but every man Jonathan in the States is rampant as a hungry wolf that seeks his food till he gets hold of it, and straightway it is devoured as if his life depended upon his swallowing the whole mess. Let him find it as nauseous as he may. Such being the case, Rachel, it behoves those who, like us, have undertaken to fight the good fight in the cause of an oppressed race, to welcome with joy and gladness the aid of every English pen likely to be bold enough to set down the truth in this matter. If the best written treatise that ever was penned were to come forth to-morrow in favor of universal emancipation by John Williams of Philadelphia, thee dost know right well, Rachel, that it would only go to line trunks and wrap candles. 
but if this curly-wigged fat lady verily and indeed sets to work and prints a volume or two about the enormities she has seen in the slave states, and the Christian good sense she will be able to listen to in the free ones, we know at any rate that the books will be read, and that is something, Rachel. Yes, truly is it, replied his faithful wife, and woe betide the folly that would stop so godly a work, because its agent came from a foreign land where old women wear unseemly headgear. It shall not be thy wife, John Williams, that shall show any such untimely attention to outward apparel. Thee speaks even as I expected to hear thee, Rachel, after the first effect of this large lady's finery was passed off. And now, dear wife, we will go on hand in hand together in helping and urging forward the good work. Such being the state in which Mrs. Allen Barnaby had left the minds of her Quaker friends, it scarcely need be doubted that with her penetrating powers of observation she took her leave of them, extremely well satisfied with the result of her first Philadelphian experiment. It was not, however, without a pretty considerable degree of fatigue that she had reached the point at which she had aimed. It is a wearying and in truth a very exhausting occupation to go on through a whole evening laboring to appear precisely what you are not and so perseveringly had mrs allen barnaby done this during the hours she had passed with the good quakers that when she reached her own room she could not resist the temptation of going immediately to bed and to sleep although the major was not yet returned from his search after sporting men and a billiard-table and although she felt not a little impatient to report progress to him but nature would have her way and for that night major allen barnaby heard nothing more from his admirable wife but her snoring Less silent and less sleepy were the pair that occupied the chamber on the opposite side of the corridor. It is quite time that the conversation which demonstrated the consequences of their evening at the theatre should now be recorded, as the results which followed upon it came so quickly that I may otherwise be reduced to the necessity of narrating effects first and their causes after. "'And if you will do just exactly what you have said, my own beautiful darling?' exclaimed madame tornorino as soon as the door of their sleeping apartment was closed i will love and dote upon you as long as ever i live and won't we have fun don and won't we make the old ones stare and i say tornorino won't we enjoy eating and drinking and waking and sleeping without being obliged to care a cent for anybody and with money of our very own 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 without saying thank you for it to any mortal living won't it be fun, Torney? I no contradict you, ma belle, returned Tornarino. It would be fun, if fun means bien beau, to do what we like, sans contredit from nobody. But we must think, my beautiful Patty, vraiment, we must think considerable before we give up the papa and the mamma in all that they have got to make us pardon quelques désagréments. Don't be an idiot, Don, replied his animated wife. Upon my life and soul, Tornorino, if you do turn out a coward and a fool, I will run away from you as sure as my name is Patty. Do you think I don't know the papa and the mamma as you call them better than you do? And do you think I want to creep about half-starved as you used to do in London, my fine Don? Not a bit of it, I promise ye. What the old ones have got, I shall have, you may depend upon that. Let me do what I will to affront them. And I won't be kept in leading-strings any longer, I tell you. So just choose between living with me or without me. I will go on the stage, Tornarino. That's the long and the short of it in one word. If you choose to stand by me, good. That is what I shall like best because, as you know, I dote upon you so. 
but if you plague me the least bit in the world by way of making me give up the scheme, I'll run away from you before you can say Jack Robinson. No, 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 my petty beauty, replied her husband with a very tender caress. I shot myself directly if you run away your beauty from me. I will indeed. And will you let me go upon the stage without trying to coax me out of it? said Patty, shaking her head expressively. Yes, my angel, I will. Only I would not have no pleasure at all, if we were only to get on just as I did once before by myself when I tried in the orchestra of Dury Lane. I was very much near starving, my Patty, said poor Tornorino mournfully. Stuff and nonsense, darling, replied his wife. You in the orchestra of Dury Lane was one thing, and I on the stage at Philadelphia shall be another. Besides, I tell you, Don, that Pap would no more bear to see me want anything than he would bear to want it himself. Mama likes me well enough, I believe, and is as proud of me as a peacock is of his tail. But Pap is my sheet anchor, and as I must know him rather better than you, Mr. Don, I'll just beg you not to trouble me any more by talking of starvation and such like agreeable conversation, for it's what I most abominate, and I'll just trouble you to remember that, if you please, and never let me hear such a word again as long as you live. The amiable Tornorino did but mutter one little word or two under his breath, which would have signified, if interpreted, that he thought he knew Major Allen Barnaby as well as most people, and then he pledged the honour of an Hidalgo that his charming Patty should never again be tormented by any vulgar doubts or fears on the subject of daily bread. And then they proceeded to discuss, in the most animated and agreeable manner, what sort of dress would best become the fair debutante, and this most important question decided, that of character followed after. In short, half the night was passed in arranging the preliminaries of Madame Tornorino's appearance upon the Philadelphian stage, which she felt confident would terminate her tiresome dependence upon Pa and Ma, and make both her fortune and fashion forever. Pa and Ma, meanwhile, were on their parts as meritoriously intent upon turning their talents to account as their enterprising daughter, and the early dawn found them in very animated discussion about the best mode of effecting this. The major had returned from his search after some opening in his own way, in very ill humor with the noble city of Philadelphia, declaring that since he was born, he had never seen such a collection of broad-brimmed quizzes, and as to billiards, they knew no more about it than so many children. "'Then you should be the more rejoiced, my dear, that I am likely to make a good thing of it,' replied his wife, after very attentively listening to this melancholy account. "'If they don't know much about billiards, they do about books.' and the broad brims have their eyes open wide enough, I promise you, on the enormous importance of securing, on their side, a person who is master of the pen, or mistress either, my dear, if you like the phrase better. That is all vastly well, Mrs. Allen Barnaby, replied the major, giving way to the rather strong feeling of ill-humour which his own abortive attempts had generated. It is vastly well for you to strut and crow, because you find a parcel of idiots ready to be gulled by all the rodomontade nonsense you are pleased to talk to them. But will that enable us to go on living in the style we have lately been used to? I never talk to you when you are in a passion, my dear, returned Mrs. Allen Barnaby composedly, for I know it does not answer. God knows, my dear, I don't want you to talk, was the conjugal reply. What I do want is that you should understand that I mean to be off, and the sooner the better, for the place seems to be about equally dull, costly, and unprofitable, so you may set about packing as soon as you will. I shall be ready to start to-morrow at the very latest. 
Mrs. Allen Barnaby remained silent for a minute or two, but the pause was not altogether occasioned by obedience to her husband's hint. She was balancing in her able mind during the interval the comparative advantages of trusting to a good breakfast to ameliorate his ill-humour, or of disregarding his uncourteous wish for silence, and pouring forth upon him at once the brilliant history of her last night's success. Being a little afraid of him when he was in a passion, which to do him justice did not often happen, it is most likely that she would have chosen the former course had he not suddenly said when preparing to leave the room, there is no good in mincing the matter. I shall go at once and tell Mrs. Simcoe that we don't much like the place, and mean to be off to-morrow. Nay, then, I can keep silent no longer, Donny, exclaimed my heroine in the most Sidonian tone imaginable. You know not what you say, Major. You know not what you are about to do. Alas, how weak and willful is the mind of man! How short, how very short a time ago was it that you vowed you never would decide on anything without consulting me? Yet now, because you find a society of black, of gentlemen, who might be quite as likely to win money as to lose it, you resolutely tell me that you are determined to leave the place, though I have every reason on earth to believe that I may speedily raise a very considerable sum here. Major Allen Barnaby was by no means the most unreasonable man in the world, and therefore, instead of bouncing out of the room upon hearing these reproaches, he turned round while in the very act of leaving it, and said, with something almost approaching, to a smile, "'Come along, then, wife, sit down, and tell me all about it at once, but don't make it very long, there's a good soul.' This uncivil restraint upon her eloquence was certainly painful. Nevertheless, Mrs. Allen Barnaby knew better than to notice it. Nay, she even complied with the rude condition upon which she had been permitted to unburden her full heart, and did so as succinctly as possible, only permitting herself, after concluding her statement, to say, Now then, Major Allen Barnaby, I leave it to you to decide whether the chance of profit is greater from our remaining among these very particularly rich people, who are ready to worship the very ground I tread upon, or from our setting off again upon a wild goose chase in the hope of meeting some fool or other who may be cajoled into losing money to you. I should vote for the staying beyond all doubt, wife, replied the mollified major. If you could but contrive to make me see my way through all the theeing and thouing you have been so amusingly repeating to me, and to the solid cash that you expect to find at the end of it. We want the ready wife, the cash, the rhino, the Spanish wheels, as they call their sprawling dollars, and unless you can manage to clutch this, I'll tell you fairly that I would not give a gooseberry for all their civility, because, my dear, I don't know any stock in any land that I can buy into with it. "'Major Allen Barnaby,' replied his wife, after having listened to him in resolute silence till he had ceased to speak, "'wise as you are, you don't know the value of ready money one bit better than I do. That number one comes first, I well know, and number two, let it be what it will, comes a long way after it. So you need not talk any more, if you please, about giving gooseberries in return for such breakfasts and dinners as we got at Big Gang Bank.' But in justice to my own honest earnings, I think it is but fair to remind you that you do love a good dinner, Major Allen Barnaby, and that the getting it day after day, as you did from the Beauchamps, and capital good lodgings into the bargain for nothing, will save dollars if it does not make them. All quite true, Mrs. Allen Barnaby, returned her spouse, mimicking a little her Sidonian dignity of tone. 
but nevertheless you must please to observe that at this present moment we are not one single cent the richer for all your palavering with the slaveholders but that my little games of piquet and écarté have left their traces very comfortably in my pocket-book and much you would have enjoyed the comfort donny said his wife relaxing into a laugh if i had declined the poisoning and left you to abide the second settling of your play-account with the honourable mr themistocles joseph john hapford yes my dear he replied returning her laugh your poisoning was first-rate and with all your preaching you may take my word for it and once for all wife without any more joking and squabbling about the matter you must make up your mind to understand that it won't suit my views to go on travelling through the country dressing as fine as lords and ladies and playing agreeable from morning to night without getting any more by it than just bed and board i am not so young as i was my good barnaby and i feel the necessity of looking forward a little and making up something like a purse against old age and a rainy day if i find that they are too much in my own way here i'll be off to madrid or to paris or baden-baden it's all one to me i really don't care the value of a straw in what kingdom of the earth i set up my coining machine but coin i must wife somewhere or other if you will be so obliging as to give me the pleasure of your company through all these possible ins and outs by sea and by land of course i shall be delighted but if you unhappily decline it and prefer remaining here writing books for and against negro slavery i am sorry to say it but i shall be under the necessity of sacrificing your charming society and setting off without you and your daughter sir said his wife not a little provoked at the tone of this long harangue may i take the liberty of asking if you intend to make her one of your travelling party why yes my dear i certainly think i shall tornarino is very useful to me and i rather suspect that he would think it more profitable to be in partnership with me than with you this is all waste of time major said his wife suddenly resuming her usual tone will you agree to allow me one day's trial with these quakers if the ready the cash the rhino the spanish wheels that you talk about do not appear tolerably ready and certain i will agree to set off with you in whatever direction you like to go only one day if i fail i will be ready to start by this time to-morrow then to this time to-morrow i give you he replied but remember my dear your proofs of success must be pretty substantial before i accept them agreed was her short reply and mrs simcoe's breakfast-bell making itself heard at the same moment they left their room together meeting the don and his lady on the top of the stairs and then with every appearance of family confidence and harmony they descended to the eating-parlour together chapter thirty two mrs allen barnaby after an interval of doubt and dread secures the assistance of john williams and her literary affairs assume the most hopeful appearance friend rachel is a little uneasy notwithstanding that a general breakfast-eating was performed at the usual american pace mrs allen barnaby was the first who had finished the meal and quitted the table the departure of one or two of the boarders had caused an alteration in the juxtaposition of those who remained and mrs allen barnaby was no longer seated next to her friend john williams but this change was by no means disagreeable to her she felt that the time for mere chit-chat was past however skilfully she might manage it and therefore rather rejoiced at than regretted the necessity of suffering the good quaker to eat his morning meal in peace yet even while divided by the whole length of the table from her new friends she had found means to propitiate further their good opinion by the greatly improved fashion of her garments 
During the whole of the conversation with her husband, which has been recorded above, her fingers have been notably and most ingeniously employed in altering a variety of little ornamental decorations, which she thought were more elegant than prudent. From her morning gown she abstracted every bow, together with a deep trimming of very broad imitation black lace from the cape of it, which left this addition to her grave-colored silk dress of such very moderate dimensions as entirely to change its general effect, and to give to her appearance a snug sort of succinct tidiness such as it had probably never exhibited before. The cap she selected for the occasion was one which owed almost all of its Barnabian grace to a very magnificent wreath of crimson roses, which ran twiningly and caressingly round the front of it, and these, being removed by the simple operation of withdrawing a few pins, left as decent a cap as any one would wish to see. Of her half-dozen luxuriously curling fronts, she chose the least copious and the least curling, and having bedewed it with water from a sponge, induced its flowing meshes to repose themselves upon her forehead with a trim tranquillity that might have befitted a Magdalen. It was thus that she now encountered the friendly eyes of John Williams and his wife Rachel, and as it never entered into the imagination of either of them that the foreign lady should have thus metamorphosed herself to please them they felt particularly the worthy rachel some disagreeable twinges of conscience at remembering the scoffing remarks that had been made on the love-locks when it now seemed evident that it must have been mere carelessness or accident rather than design which had occasioned the superfluous hair to flow so wantonly it was therefore with even more than the hoped-for degree of gentle kindness that Mrs. Allen Barnaby's proposal of paying them a visit in their own drawing-room was received, and ten o'clock precisely was named as the hour at which they should be waiting to welcome her. That Mrs. Allen Barnaby was punctual need not be doubted. Much indeed depended upon this interview. If she failed now, she felt that she was pledged to give up the authorship scheme from which she not only anticipated much substantial profit, but which had already given her so much delightful gratification that the thought of abandoning it was inexpressibly painful to her feelings. Her hopes, however, so completely outweighed her fears that it was with a delightful consciousness of power and the most cheering anticipations of success that she gave her soft Quaker-like tap-tap at the Quaker's door. Come in was uttered with the very gentlest of tones, and in the next moment my greatly altered heroine stood in straight-haired comeliness before the meekly approving eyes of her new acquaintance. "'The permission to wait on you thus early,' she began, "'is a kindness for which I can hardly be sufficiently grateful, for the work to which I have dedicated myself seems to press upon my conscience. I feel as if I were not laboring with sufficient devotion and energy on that which may perhaps involve the happiness of thousands.' This is an awful consideration, my dear friends. They are right, friend Allen Barnaby, replied John Williams. It is in this manner that all those who meddle in so great an undertaking should feel. It is not so much insensibility to their frightful sufferings which the poor negroes have to complain of as want of energy in the means adopted for their relief. To tell us frankly and freely, good friend, what may be the difficulty or embarrassment which is most likely to impede thy progress, and I pledge to thee the word of an honest man, that if John Williams can remove it, it shall be removed. These were not words to be listened to with indifference by Mrs. Allen Barnaby. She was, indeed, considerably more delighted than she thought fitting to express. She had no objection to appearing grateful for the support so kindly offered, but she did not wish that the quiet Quaker should perceive all the triumphant joy and gladness that she felt throbbing at her heart. 
she had contrived to learn, by one or two intelligent questions addressed to Mrs. Simcoe's help, that John Williams had very ample power to remove all such embarrassments and difficulties as at present beset her, and had he not now pledged his honourable Quaker word to use in her behalf what power he had. Now then was the moment of projection, as the chemists say, now then was the very crisis of the experiment that was to prove whether she did indeed possess the precious secret by which palaver might be converted into gold, or whether she must henceforth submit to the degrading position of a merely ornamental appendage to her more highly gifted husband's establishment. She preluded the answer which was to settle this important question by a deep sigh, and then, bending forwards towards the little work-table which supported the scissors, thimble, cotton reel, and narrow morsel of fine lawn upon which the neat-handed Rachel had been employed when she entered, she remained for a few seconds supporting her head upon her hand in silence. Had attention been wanting in her audience, this piteous prelude would have been sure to command it, and when at length she spoke, not a syllable was lost on either John or Rachel. It is inexpressibly painful, said Mrs. Allen Barnaby, slowly raising herself from her bending attitude, to submit oneself even to the dictates of duty when they command us to do or to say anything that may be misconstrued into. Alas! How shall I find a word to express what I mean that shall not sound too harshly? Into abusing the generous kindness of those who stretch forth the hand of brotherly fellowship to assist us. Nay now, friend Barnaby, I must not have thee speak thus, interrupted John Williams with the most expressive intonation of benevolence. Remember that thy work is our work, and that thought will remove at once all such idle embarrassments as those thee speakest of. Oh, true, most true, exclaimed Mrs. Allen Barnaby with renovated courage, and as if suddenly conscious that she had no feelings of which to be ashamed, but altogether the contrary. Never again will I give way to such weakness. You will, then, my excellent friends, listen to me as to a sister, while I confess to you that my husband, devoted to me as he is, and kind, too, upon most points, does not partake of the enthusiasm which has brought me to this noble but misguided country. Yea, verily, it is then as I feared, Rachel. But take courage, friend Barnaby, and think not that we shall be the less inclined to give thee assistance, because we find thee wantest it more. Thee speakest well, friend Barnaby, in calling this our misguided country, noble, and well pleased am I to find that thee hast clearness of judgment enough to see that it is indeed noble. In simple truth, friend Barnaby, it is the very noblest and most glorious country on the face of God's whole earth, and thee knowest there are spots on the sun. But progress, progress, good lady, and let us know in what and how far it is that thy husband opposes thy purpose. Perhaps, replied my heroine mildly, opposes is too strong, too harsh a word to use when speaking of the conduct of Major Allen Barnaby. The very indulgence which induced him to leave his own country, where his highly exalted reputation gives him a position so peculiarly agreeable, in order to gratify my wish in visiting this, must forever ensure my gratitude. But the fact is, that unfortunately he does not see this momentous question concerning negro emancipation in the same light that i do so strongly do we differ indeed that i am persuaded though if i publish upon it he will never come forward publicly to controvert my opinion yet that if i should not do so he would be exceedingly likely to write upon the other side indeed exclaimed john williams the smooth serenity of his countenance a little ruffled by the intelligence and does thee think him capable of writing a work likely to produce any great effect? 
It is strange for his own wife, and one who loves him too, as dearly as I do, to reply to such a question with regret, because it is only possible to reply to it in the affirmative, said she. He has, perhaps, the most powerful talent of any man living in controversy. His wit, his eloquence, oh, it is something magical, and, like many others, I believe, who are thus gifted, he certainly has pleasure in putting down what in this case he calls popular prejudice. This is heavy news, my good lady. Very heavy news, I promise thee. An European coming to this country and publishing a powerful book in favor of Negro slavery will do the cause more harm than thee mayest think for. The strongest weapon which we have got to use against the avarice of our misguided but high-minded countrymen is the universal condemnation of Europe, and anything tending to weaken that would be a misfortune indeed. I am aware of it replied Mrs. Allen Barnaby with emphasis, and this it is that makes me feel the importance of my own undertaking. The Major knows that I am employing myself in writing on this awful subject, every detail of which harrows my very heart, while he, alas, treats it all with most sad levity, and he has told me very positively, though I must say without the slightest harshness, the good Major is never harsh to me but he has told me that although he will never interfere to prevent my writing on this or any other subject, for in truth he is foolishly proud of what I have done in that way, yet that, as he cannot agree with me in the views I have adopted, he should hold himself inexcusably weak were he to permit any great expenditure of money in travelling about, merely as he expressed it, to enable me to strengthen my abolition prejudices. Upon his saying this, which occurred when we were at New Orleans, I asked him if he would object to my spending a small sum, not exceeding three hundred pounds, which he knew I had by me as especially my own, in travelling from city to city of this majestic country, in order to become generally acquainted with it. To this he frankly answered no. He knew, he said, that the trifle I have mentioned was intended for the purpose of some sparkling ornament, but that if I preferred seeing your gems of cities to looking upon gems of my own, he saw no good reason to oppose me. This sum, my dear friends, continued Mrs. Allen Barnaby, is, I grieve to say, totally exhausted, and I am under the terrible necessity of abandoning a work in which my very heart and soul are engaged, or of submitting to the embarrassing alternative of confessing this fact to you, and beseeching you to give me your opinion as to the possibility of raising, by subscriptions for my forthcoming volumes, such a sum as may enable me to continue my researches. For, as you will readily believe, my principles forbid me to state facts with which I am unacquainted, and if I cannot succeed in immediately raising a little money for the purpose of prosecuting my inquiries in the free states, I shall be obliged to return immediately to England, and instead of publishing my own work, have to endure the intense mortification of witnessing the appearance of another of principles diametrically opposite. Tell me, therefore, my kind and excellent friends, if you would conceive it would be possible for me to raise such a subscription as I speak of, John Williams and his wife listened to this animated but somewhat long harangue in the profoundest silence. Neither cough, sneeze, hem, nor even audible breathing interrupted the deep stillness in which she had the advantage of speaking. On ordinary occasions, Mrs. Allen Barnaby would have been fully aware of the advantage this gave her, for she by no means liked to be interrupted while speaking, but now she almost felt that the stillness was too profound, for it seemed even to communicate itself to the eyelids of her auditors which never winked. The looks of John being steadily fixed upon her face, and those of Rachel as steadily directed to the carpet. 
she almost feared to cease speaking lest this chilling atmosphere of stagnant silence should condense itself into an icy refusal but stop at last she must and did and then it took at least a minute ere john williams raised his voice to answer her her heart beat a good deal during this interval and she became anything in the world but sanguine as to the result nor was her acuteness altogether deceived as to the meaning of all this if there be a form of speech which will act like an incantation upon all alike and before which slaveholders and emancipationists calvinists and unitarians catholics and quakers yankees and creoles will all shrink with equal sensitiveness it is a demand for dollars on every other imaginable theme they may and probably will differ widely but on this they are unanimous mrs allen barnaby saw and felt this at her fingers ends but though this sensitive shrinking unquestionably was the first fruits of her eloquence, it was not the only one, neither was it the more lasting. She had arranged her arguments with great skill, and when, as John Williams examined and cross-examined her, she recapitulated all the dangers which threatened the cause in which he was enlisted in case her object was defeated, it was soon easy to see that her eloquence was gaining ground, and his prudence losing it. At this stage of the business, John Williams would have given a good deal if his wife would have but looked him in the face, but she was as far as possible from doing any such thing, making no other change in her attitude, after Mrs. Allen Barnaby had finished her opening speech, than what was absolutely necessary for the stretching out of her nice little white hand towards her nice little rosewood work-table, and withdrawing thence the before-mentioned strip of lawn, to the hemming of which she again addressed herself, with a pertinacity of industry which rendered all hope of her raising her eyes from it most completely abortive. Thee hast made a statement that it gives me great pain to hear, said John Williams at length, in a tone that instantly turned the thoughts of Mrs. Allen Barnaby towards her packing up, and before he had uttered a second sentence, she remembered with some satisfaction that she had taken very few things out of their travelling recesses, and that if the worst came to the worst, she should not have a great deal of trouble in getting ready to set off, according to promise on the following morning. But with all her acuteness, Mrs. Allen Barnaby did not yet quite understand the nature of a Philadelphian Quaker. The first feeling which displayed itself was naturally enough that which was common to every citizen of the great republic, but there were others which lay deeper, and which belonged both to the particular class and to the individual, which in the race of conflicting feelings were most likely to come in conquerors at last. But John Williams, though very far from being a dull man, was, nevertheless, not a quick one, and before he could fully make up his mind what he should say next, his interesting visitor rose, and assuming a look of very touching shyness, said, to give you pain in any way, my good sir, is the very last thing I would willingly do, and believe me when I say that notwithstanding your evident unwillingness to enter actively into the business, I feel the most perfect conviction of your goodwill to the cause, and am grateful for your kindness, though it cannot, as I perceive, be of a nature to serve me. Good morning, Mrs. Williams. Good morning, my dear sir. And thus saying, she moved towards the door, being in truth exceedingly desirous to get away, that she might indulge in the utterance of a few of the animated expletives which she felt trembling on her tongue, and set about packing as fast as she could. But her interview with the Quakers was not over yet. "'Thee art over-hasty, friend Barnaby,' said John Williams, interposing his tall, upright person between his guest and the door. "'In matters of business no one should ever be in a hurry.' Sit thee down again, friend, sit thee down, and let us talk this matter quietly over. They did sit down again, and they did talk the matter quietly over, 
so quietly indeed, so lengthily, so step by step, that the reader might have rather more than enough of it were I to repeat word for word all that was spoken on that occasion. Suffice it to say that affairs wore a very different aspect when at length Mrs. Allen Barnaby really did leave the room from what they did when she first attempted to do so. One feature only of the interview remained unchanged. Rachel Williams continued during the whole of it to maintain her industry and her silence, never once lifting her eyes from her hemming, and never once speaking a word. Talking of the passions of a Quaker may, to some people, I believe, appear like talking of the passions of a fish, but people so thinking cannot be natives of Philadelphia. The honest, broad-brimmed abhorrence of savory and the hearty wish of bringing about a national abolition of it does decidedly amount, in many instances, to a passion in the beautiful city of Grecian banks and flowery catalpas. Our quiet-seeming friend John Williams was an instance of this, though his wife Rachel was not, for while she could not choose but remember, even if she had wished to forget it, that it was the same person who was now making a plain and specific application for dollars that she had seen entering the dining-room the day before, the very emblem of all that a sober-minded female ought not to be, John himself had no room in his head or his heart for anything but the abolition question, and actually trembled when his conscience reminded him of the risk he had at one moment run, of suffering an ill-timed fit of avaricious caution, to stifle an undertaking which promised such great advantage to the scheme that it was the first object of his life to advance. It was therefore with a bright and triumphant eye that Mrs. Allen Barnaby met the inquiring glance of her husband, upon encountering him in the retirement of their own apartment, whither he had returned from an unprofitable morning stroll on purpose to receive her. "'You need not speak, my Barnaby,' he exclaimed the moment he beheld her. "'That you have succeeded is just as easy seen as that you have a pair of the most expressive eyes in the world.' And how in the world, my darling woman, have you contrived to screw money out of that parchment man? I should be vastly sorry, Major, if I thought that I should get no more than what my dear friend John Williams will disburse himself, though I have no fears either that he should fail me. But my projects are a good deal more extended than that, my dear, as you may perceive, if you will do me the favor of running your eye over this list of names the most wealthy, the most respectable, and the most influential in Philadelphia, as I beg to inform you. She then drew forth a large sheet of paper which she displayed before him, and on which were, in truth, inscribed about thirty of the first names of the city. To these persons John Williams had promised to apply for subscriptions to Mrs. Allen Barnaby's book, giving her to understand, as he wrote each down, that on such an occasion she would be sure to receive a sum greatly exceeding the price of many copies, for that he pledged himself to make them understand how vitally important to the undertaking was the raising a considerable sum at the moment. A considerable sum? I wonder what Broadbrim calls a considerable sum, eh, my dear? Have you any notion? demanded the major, with a saucy air of one not disposed to be easily contented. "'He mentioned no figures whatever, major. I cannot say that he did,' replied Mrs. Allen Barnaby, with a slight frown. "'But upon my honour, Donny, I don't think it would be wise just at present for us to stand out quarrelling with our bread and butter, only because we think it just possible that the butter may not be thick enough. I have no more idea of committing any such folly than I have of building a church, my love, so don't alarm yourself.' he replied. Not only just at present, Mrs. Allen Barnaby, but just forever. Our calling and profession will be to catch what we can. 
This is no bad trade, depend upon it, even among Yankees, if the capital brought to it has a good deal of sterling, brass, mixed with the gold of such a wit as yours, my Barnaby. Oh, no, I have no intention, depend upon it, of declining these Quaker dollars. Nor can I express to you sufficiently, my charming partner, the admiration I feel for the brilliant versatility of your talents, nor can I behold the bold, not to say audacious approach towards puritanical attire which your appearance at this moment exhibits, without feeling that my happy destiny has mated me with a mind worthy of union with my own. This flourishing compliment, which was accompanied by a low bow, made the lady get up and place herself before the glass, and as she stood there with her hands primly crossed before her, both husband and wife laughed heartily. After this little indulgence of light-heartedness, the well-matched pair entered upon a business-like discussion of their immediate arrangements. It was decided between them that Patty should be bribed by some new article of finery to be worn elsewhere, to make herself somewhat more decent in attire at the dinner-table, and also that Mrs. Allen Barnaby herself should lay out a few cents in mouse-coloured ribbon, and that the Major and his martial moustache should keep out of the way, on pretense of botanizing, in order to avoid the too obvious incongruity of appearance between them. This botanizing notion was due to the ready invention of my heroine, and was rewarded by a fresh burst of conjugal admiration. This very pleasant conversation ended by the Major informing his wife that, although he had no hope whatever of doing much during the time they might find it desirable to remain under the patronage of her Quaker friends, he was nevertheless not without hope of doing something, for he had found out two public billiard-tables, which, though apparently carrying on business a little under the rose, would enable him to pass his time without having to reproach himself with that worst of all possible faults idleness, which in his case, as she conscientiously observed, would be worse than in that of most others, inasmuch as he knew himself to be blessed with a degree of ability which rendered the employment of it a positive duty. End of chapters 31 and 32